Well, good morning and welcome to Pentecost Sunday. How many of you knew that today was Pentecost Sunday? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Let's begin, okay, with just very, uh, the basics, okay? What does the word Pentecost mean? 50, thank you, back there, somewhere, somebody. <laughs> it means 50, penta, okay, that's the number five in Greek. 50, why 50? Because it commemorates 50 days after Easter. And it is a, a very significant and important event in the life of the church. You can read this account in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon 120 disciples, followers of Jesus, who were gathered in the upper room praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And boy, that were, they were never the same. 3,000 people were added to their number in a single day. God transformed them radically through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and it gave birth to the church. So that is what we celebrate and we commemorate today. Now, before Jesus ascended to heaven, you might remember, we find Jesus giving the disciples a command. He looks at them, and you can read this at the end of, of uh, the, the uh, of the book of Luke, and also in the beginning of the book of Acts, he looks at them and says, do not leave Jerusalem. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. That's the Luke version. In Acts 1-4, it says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples took the challenge very seriously, and they waited. They didn't just sit around doing nothing. No, they actively waited. For in Acts 1.14, it says that they gathered constantly in prayer. Every single day, they met in the temple and prayed and prayed. And this is how they waited. They waited actively because they believed the promise. And now as they prayed... They waited upon him who only is able to fulfill the promise. And then it came, suddenly, unexpectedly, almost surprisingly. The Holy Spirit rushed into that room and fell upon them, and the promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was poured out. When Andrew and I were dating, I, I lived with Pastor Willie and Ada Canales, our current Hispanic ministers. And I lived with them for a whole year. And as a poor international student, I didn't have the money to travel back home to Brazil every Christmas. And so that particular year, I got to spend Christmas and New Year's with them. Well, it came a time for a New Year's celebration. And in our culture, the Hispanic culture, we're all about New Year's Eve. Oh, my goodness, it's a party. Hispanic people love to party. But New Year's, it's like double party, okay? <laughs> and we loved it. And we said, let's go visit some other missionary friends. So we traveled five hours and went to Ohio and got to spend the day with them. Well, it was around 11.30 p.m., and I got a phone call from my then-boyfriend, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm like, you're kind of early. It's 1130. Maybe Americans are, you know, early, always early. And, <laughs> and no, it had nothing to do with that. He wanted me to stay on the phone with him until midnight so he could be the first one to wish me a happy new year. I said, all right, that sounds wonderful. Uh, half an hour, we're going to talk about. Okay, so here we go, and we're talking and enjoying each other. And at 11.45 came a knock at the door, on the door, like somebody knocked on the door. And we looked at each other, and we're like, we're not expecting anybody. Who could possibly be? 
my sister happened to be with us at that time, and so she rushed to the door, opened the door, and to our dismay and surprise, there was Andrew standing by the door. He had found us with his phone in his hand talking to me. Oh, you should have seen Pastor Willie's face. No, but how did he find out where we were, first of all? We hadn't told him. And then, second of all, why would he drive six hours all the way from Indiana to Ohio to wish me a Happy New Year by on person? Oh, it was like we had seen Peter after he escaped from prison. It was like amazing. Oh, my goodness. We could not believe it. We were like, wow, this, this guy's a keeper. I said to myself, oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Willie was thinking to himself, I'm sure, where in the world is this guy going to stay? Because uh, there's no room here. And that we are booked, like it's overbooked already. <laughs> and uh, no worries, no worries. Andrew had no intention of staying. Uh, around 1 a.m., we all were tired. And he said, all right, well, happy new year. I'm headed back home. And he drove six hours back home that night. Oh, my goodness. Talk about um, unexpectedly arriving, right? Talk about coming unexpectedly, surprisingly, suddenly. And this is how the Holy Spirit showed up that day just like Andrew showed up on me. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit descended upon the church that Pentecost Sunday as the entire uh, Jewish people were coming to celebrate the feast, the yearly feast. And in chapter 2, we begin to read how the Holy Spirit came suddenly. And I will read it. The scripture will be on the screen, and you can follow along. It says here in verse 1, When the day of Camp Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And that event that event turned their lives upside down. They had no expectation of what the Holy Spirit would do in their lives. But somehow it energized them from the inside out. And now they were able to fulfill the works for which they were created. Now Jesus himself had told the disciples that this would happen. But they had no idea how or when or why. And you know, the, there's three things that happened here in this story that happens every time that the Holy Spirit descends upon individuals or upon churches. There's three responses, three effects, three, uh, three benefits, if you may. And the first one is this, it's power. Every time the Holy Spirit descends, it results in power for the people. It also results in purity of heart. And it results in missionary passion. In this story here, we see this very much represented. Power in the sense of wind. The wind came and blew. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that filled also their lives. We also see as the tongues separated in each individual fire represents purity. It cleanses, it purifies. And so it purifies their hearts. But the, the, the missionary passion is represented by the tongues. They were somehow now able to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And they had never learned a different language. But now everybody could hear their mother tongue. It was amazing. A miracle. And this is what the Holy Spirit did. Let me begin talking to you about the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do today in our lives, in our church. You know, the, the power that the Holy Spirit gives is not like the power of the superheroes, kind of like a magic thing that you do and, you know, something 
creates out of nothing, although you could do that, but it's usually not like that, <laughs> okay? And it's also not the worldly type of power that people in prestige and positions of, of privilege usually have. The power of the Holy Spirit is a power from the inside out, is a power that, that allows you to overcome temptation, is a power that allows you to love those who hurt you, is a power that allows you now to endure tribulations and trials and difficulties. And it is a power to witness a boldness, a courage to have faith despite whatever comes your way. And it is also sometimes powers for miracles, healings, and deliverance because I don't like to put God in a box. He can do much more than I could ever imagine, think, or do. <laughs> And history itself can attest that men and women who were empowered through the Holy Spirit lived lives worthy of their calling. Now, there are many accounts I could read to you about individuals greatly used by God when the Holy Spirit baptized them or came upon them. And every Wednesday night when we gather for prayer meeting, or we used to gather for prayer meeting in the, in the sanctuary until we went outside, I, I used to read stories of people like Charles Finney, the great revivalist in America who won over half a million souls for the Lord Jesus back in the 1800s. Imagine that. And then, of course, we read stories like John Wesley when he received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and what he did. There's other stories and examples I could give you of churches in the global south that when the Holy Spirit descends upon them, oh, the whole community is affected because now the people are not the same. Somehow their condition and their human nature changes and radically takes a different turn. But today I want to read you the story uh, that I've been reserving to share with the whole congregation. It's the testimony of our own Phineas Brzee, the founder of the Church of the Nazarene. Phineas Brzee was desperate for an experience of grace that would match his internal need. He found himself one day praying and praying and seeking this empowerment from on high to do the works that only God could do through him because his strength was so limited. And this, my friends, in his own words, is how the Holy Spirit showed up and empowered him to continue to do the ministry for which he had been anointed. It will be on the screens, so I, I recommend that you follow along because, you know, my accent sometimes can be hard to follow, especially if I'm reading something. It'll just be on the screen for you to follow along. And this is what he wrote. At this time, there came to me an answer to prayer, a very striking experience. I had been for some time in almost constant prayer and crying to God for something that would meet my needs, not clearly realizing what they were or how they could be met. I sat alone in the parsonage in the cool of evening, in the front parlor near the door. The door being opened, I looked up into the azure, which means a bright, cloudless sky, in earnest prayer, while the shades of evening gathered about. As I waited and waited and continued in prayer, looking up, it seemed to me as if from the azure there came a meteor, an indescribable ball of condensed light descending rapidly toward me. As I gazed upon it, it was soon within a few score feet when I seemed distinctly to hear a voice saying as my face was upward towards it, swallow it, swallow it. And in an instant, it fell upon my lips and face. I attempted to obey the injunction. It seemed to me, however, that I swallowed only a little of it, although it fell like fire on my lips. 
and the burning sensation did not leave them for several days. Well, all of this of itself would be nothing. There came with it into my heart and being a transformed condition of life and blessing and unction and glory, which I had never known before. I felt that my need was supplied. I was always very reticent in reference to my own personal experience, but I have never gotten over it. And I have said very little relative to this, but there came into my ministry a new element of spiritual life and power. People began to come into the blessing of full salvation. There were more persons converted. And the last year of my ministry in that church was more consecutively successful, being crowned by an almost constant revival. When the third year came to a close, the church had been nearly doubled in membership. And in every way, in every way, in every way, built up. What a powerful story. <laughs> you know, as a theologian, I read these stories and lots of questions kind of come through my mind. <laughs> but I want to carefully point out a couple of things that are important when we read these types of accounts that are very unique. First, let me, know that this, let me note that this was not the time in which Brizzy was first sanctified. Okay? Several of his biographies point to another moment in which he surrendered his life to God and was baptized with the Holy Spirit prior to this experience. What Brzee experienced here was a supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit that came upon him to supply a need that he was crying out for God to meet. And only God's grace could meet. Second, spiritual experiences should always confirm and give validity to the revelation of the scriptures. Notice that Brizzy does not make this experience an end in itself. He is actually reticent to talk about it. In fact, he says all of this in itself would be nothing. But he points to the result of this experience as being of true importance and significance. He says that a transformed condition of life and blessing and unction and glory and the building of the church came as a result. So the experience or the manifestation of the Spirit should not be our focus Neither should it be our pursuit. Our goal is always to cultivate a fresh desire for more of his grace and allow God's spirit to meet and supply our inmost needs the only way that he can through his life-giving, empowering spirit. Finally, the way that God chooses to make himself known is totally up to him. Sometimes he shows up in the wind. Other times he might show up in a meteor, as crazy as that may sound. And yet at other times, he shows up in a gentle whisper. He always knows what we need. But what he wants from his people is to turn our eyes to him, to cry out to him from the depths of our soul, to seek him, to know that only his grace will do, to know that only his spirit is the one that empowers us to live the life worthy of the calling we have received. And this is the most important thing of it all because we all have a hole in our soul it's almost like a god-shaped hole that can only be filled with the presence of god oh it takes us to be open to receiving more because he wants to give more he is a good good father ready to lavish good good gifts upon his hungry children the question is how much do you want it how much are you willing to seek out and pray and contend for what he wants to give? You see, it requires partnership. 
Because just like when the disciples heard of the promise, they stayed put. They believed. They prayed. They cried out. They sought until it came. John Wesley once said, My fear is now that a great movement known as the Methodist will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. Where, my friends, where, my friends, is the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that God so wants to give in our midst? Oh, power. We need his power. And the way to tap into his power is to recognize our utter dependence and need for his grace. The second thing that the Holy Spirit produces in us is purity. He wants to give us a pure heart. In fact, this is his utmost concern. He wants to give us his power, but he wants to make us like him. So he wants to purify our hearts. In fact, this is what the fire represents when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are baptized with his presence. There comes into us a condition of supernatural activity that makes us feel like, oh, we are so unlike Christ. And now we need to be like him. So what happens when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes? It burns the chaff. And we all have it. What is the chaff? Well, let's read in Galatians. It says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The list goes on and on and on and on. But you see, it's not until we get tired of of giving bad fruit that then the Holy Spirit can come and say, hey, I got more for you. I got love and joy and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what I want to cultivate in your life. But it requires us to say, I am tired of giving results that is not like Christ. Come and burn it. And his fire burns it. And so that is what the Holy Spirit does when he descends and comes upon his people. He gives us power, but he gives us purity. It's like the two wings of the dove, right? One is the power, the other one is the purity. And this is what we need, my brother, my sister, to change the world around us. This is what it will require, the holiness of God being imparted into our own hearts. When I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I was 16 years old. I never forget. I will never forget that day. I was at a God Encounter weekend in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, at a Nazarene campground. Oh, my. Who talk about the Holy Spirit descending with power? He came, and it was an overwhelming sense of peace that just took over my life, an overwhelming sense of, of goodness and sense of tranquility that just descended when I said, Yes, Lord, I, I commit my life to you. I consecrate my will to yours. And this overwhelming sense of peace turned my, my it almost like did like a, a, a turn. I was, you know, like as a 16-year-old, you can only imagine. This fireball, he was, she was crazy as a, at 16. I'm still crazy, but I was crazier, okay? <laughs> and so as a 16-year-old, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad God got a hold of me. Because it changed, radically changed. I was no longer interested in, in the things I was interested in at that time. But somehow I wanted now the real thing. Because the Holy Spirit is the reality, it's like it's a person, and when you know him and meet him, you want, hey, you want to have a relationship with this amazing God. And that's what it happened. I said, as a 16-year-old, yes, I, wa- I was just, it, it was like a disposition changed. 
And I was in love with him, and I wanted more. I wanted to know him. And so this is what he does. He gives us his own heart, his own purity. But the last thing that he gives us is passion. He gives us missionary, evangelistic passion. We're no longer just caring about our things. We don't now care about what he cares about. And, and, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, we, the, it, it, it's fascinating to me to see the best example of how this happened in the Apostle Paul. He used to be called Saul. And in chapter 8, verse 3, it says that Saul was persecuting the church. In fact, you can jump this slide to the next slide. And uh, he was persecuting the church. And he was going from house to house, dragging people, putting them in prison, killing some of them, persecuting the church. He was the most dreaded man back then. And all of a sudden, in chapter 9, he has an amazing experience with, the, with Christ. He shows up, and the light of Christ blinds him. He cannot see now for three days. So God, through a dream, tells Ananias, go and place your hands upon this man, and through the Holy Spirit, he will see. He's kind of like, are you kidding me? He's going to kill me? No, go. So he obeys. He goes. He places his hands upon this man, and something like scales fall off his eyes. Now he's able to see, but not only he is able to see physically, now he's able to see spiritually because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, radically changed. No longer persecuting the church. Now he wants to tell people about this God. He wants to tell people that he sanctifies, that he transforms, that he changes, that he loves us, that his grace is sufficient. Oh, that his grace is enough. He is radically changed forever because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's, inter it's, uh, uh, it's uh, been fascinating to me to discover this, that in chapter 2020, rather than going from house to house, like verse 8-3 says, now he's dragging people, now he's going from house to house, the same phrase, he's going from house to house, teaching people. His passion is so, uh, so consumed with God's things and purposes that he could care less about anything else. He's traveling to the ends of the earth, which back then was Spain. That's the end of the earth back in those days. That's all they knew. There was no, no South America, North America, none of that. Spain was it. He got there, and it was over. Okay, so it was fulfilled. <laughs> to the ends of the earth literally happened Okay, with Paul. Now, Paul is radically consumed with this passion for souls. And my friends, my question is, what are we consumed with? What are we consumed with, my church? What are we consumed with? Our troubles persecution, our difficulty? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is the answer to our need? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is the solution to the human condition? Could it be that the Holy Spirit, what would it look like if he came and showed up today and rushed through this whole sanctuary filling it with his glory? What would it look like for our lives? What would it look like for our community? What would it look like for Kankakee County? The Holy Spirit came and filled our hearts with this ever-increasing love and abundant grace. What would it look like? I wonder how many of us are willing to say, Lord, I want this Holy Spirit. I want to know you more. I want you to fill my heart. But there are some things that stand in between me and you, God. Because you know, God cannot fill what's already filled. You got to empty. You got to take it out. And a lot of that looks like junk, my friends. A lot of like th that looks like grudges and, and unforgiveness and sometimes disappointments because we get, we get hurt. Sometimes we blame God. 
and we get disappointed, disappointed at God. And God is like, it's, it's not my fault, I promise, but we get disappointed. And it's time, it's time to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that needs to be in between me and you. So this morning, I just want to invite the whole church to be filled with the Spirit. Because if we are filled with the Holy Spirit today, and He wants to fill us, ooh, our lives would never be the same. I need a fresh anointing every day. I need a fresh infilling every day. <laughs> I'm the first one yesterday in my prayer time. I'm like, Lord, there's something there. And I'm, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me because, you know, we, we live life. <laughs> and life happens. And yet the Lord wants to renew and revive and reawaken and do something new in you. So today, if you just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the first step in receiving the Holy Spirit is making peace with God. And saying, Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I don't like these fleshly things. I have, I have lost my temper this week. I became angry. I, I was bitter. Or I did other things that are not pleasing to you. Whatever it is, the first thing is say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. So if that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand and say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Father. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now, don't wait. Don't wait. Just raise your hand in faith. And allow him to establish and reestablish your relationship with him. Because that's primary. That's the most important thing that will give you life and sustain you through whatever comes. So, Father, you see the hands, Lord. And, Father, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Absolutely nothing. And so, Father, I now declare, Father, through your holy presence, that all of us are forgiven. Because you declare that we are forgiven, Lord, as we ask for forgiveness. You always forgive us. So sorry, Father, for holding grudges or becoming bitter or doing things that are not pleasing to you. Sorry, my Lord. Now forgive us and we declare, Father, in Jesus' name that we are forgiven. And as Don comes and he begins to play this morning, the second question is this, how many of you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you are wanting a fresh anointing, a fresh infilling, and you want to come and surrender your life to him, and just desire that he will give you whatever he needs to give you to supply your inmost need. This is your time. Because he's here already. And he wants to impart. He wants to impart. He wants to give his life. So if that is you, just come forward. Come forward and kneel at the altar. Stand by the, by the, here in the front. And as I pray, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait upon the Lord. Because that is what he commanded us to do, to wait. To wait for him to do the rest. That which only he can do. Which is to transform our lives. Which is to cleanse us, to purify us. To transform us, to empower us. To give us all that we need for the life that he has given us to live. So as you come, I just invite the, the pastors, the lay ministers to come forward as well. And as you receive from the Lord, you will also impart it unto other people. And for those of you who, who are just continuing in prayer there in your pews, just uh, make this time your own time of renewing your faith with God. And Father, we are so grateful, Lord. We are so grateful, Lord, that you will always answer our prayers. We're so grateful, my Lord, that you always want to give more to your people. We are so grateful, Father, for Pentecost Sunday, a day that we get to celebrate and talk about 
but yet we get to experience and live into today because your spirit, Lord, is ready to be poured out upon us. Your spirit is ready, Father, to meet us, to quench our thirst, to revive our dead bones, to give us life abundant. Oh, Father, we thank you, my Lord. We thank you, my Lord, for your promise, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray now, Father God, that you, Lord, will come and fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us, Lord. Fill us, oh God. Fill us, Father. Oh, Father, fresh fire, God. A fresh anointing, oh God, as we wait upon you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, in the way that only you can, oh God. Oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord, touch us deeply, Father. Touch us, Lord. Rest your feet upon your people this morning, God. May we not leave this place the same way, Father, that we came in, O oh God. But may we, Father, come out of this place renewed, Father, in what is available and possible for those who believe. Through the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can have your power. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have a pure heart. Through the Holy Spirit, we now can have the passion, Lord, needed to, commission, to do the commission, Lord, that you have given us. Oh, my Lord, come, Father, come, Lord. Come, Lord, we don't want to rush you, Lord, but we want you, Father, to come and embolden us, to come and empower us, to come and fill us afresh, Lord. Oh, God, we just cry out for more, Lord. More, Lord, more of your fire, Lord. More of your winds, more of your goodness, more of your presence to be displayed in this sanctuary. Oh, Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for the church of the Nazarene and our heritage of holiness. We thank you, God, that you are rebirthing God, rebirthing the movement of holiness, Lord, across the land. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our own lives and for what you will continue to do in this church and in the days to come in this community. Oh, God, bring us a reviving fire, Lord. Bring us a reviving fire, Lord. And begin with me, Lord. Begin with us, O oh God. We cry out to you, O oh God, for more, Lord. More, Father, more, Lord. Oh, Father, fill us to the uttermost, O oh God. Fill us, O oh God. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we will be overflowing with your love, that we will be overflowing with your grace. Come now, Father. Come now, Lord. Oh, I feel your presence here, Lord. You're touching us, Lord. You're touching us, Lord, and we give you all the glory. If you're still, if you want, you're in your pew. Don't miss it. Come forward and receive it as we pray over you. Come forward and receive the Holy Spirit.